You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, I'm Josh. If you're a visitor with us, uh, we are in a teaching series through the Old Testament entitled... The road to Emmaus. And it's taken out of Luke 24, uh, verse 27 is what was quoted there. Uh, And in it, Jesus is talking with with two disciples. They're on this place called, on their way to this place called Emmaus. Uh, And that's why in our visual, if we have the road to Emmaus graphic, if we can throw it up there, it should be in the the presentation. Uh, There's a road, it's leading somewhere, and, and it implies that Jesus is on this journey. No, that was it. That was it. He was on this journey with these guys going, and as they're walking down the road, he begins to interpret them how everything in the Old Testament points to him, how he fulfills this story that's happened, you know, up to probably 5,000 years of story before him all culminates in him coming and God coming incarnate through Jesus Christ and dying for the, for the sin of the world. Let's get the underlights on here too, of the bottom of the lantern so that we can see our Bibles. Um, and, so, and so we as a church said, hey, what if we taught through the Old Testament, the, the big stories of the Old Testament, what if we did in a year what Jesus did with those disciples on the way to Emmaus? And we looked at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and looked at specifically how Jesus fulfills Everything that happens in the Old Testament, how everything in the Old Testament ultimately is leading up and pointing to him. And so over the next uh, 10 months, uh, pretty much, we are going to be doing this as, as a church and looking at basically the highlights of the Old Testament, the, the meta-narrative, the larger story of what God is, uh, is doing. And then we get to culminate it with Advent. Like, we're going to end out the year telling for 10 months this beautiful, redemptive story of God, and it's going to end with Jesus Christ being born. Like, it gives me chill bumps just to think about it, because that, the beauty of the story, the beauty of God's plan is, is what we live for today. And a lot of times, I think we just forget the story. And so we need to go back, and we need to walk through that story uh, each week. So what we're going to do is, last week, we kicked it off with Genesis 1. Uh, one and two, basically. And every week that we come here, we're going to start off with a recap of what we know so far. So I need a scribe, someone who will write on the board and do our recap of our story for us. You can just stand in there, Macker. I'm not saying you have to do it. Who wants to do it? Jim did it last week. And l- did you notice I got you, a t- yeah, I got you a platform? You see that? So you don't have to like write like this. It was kind of fun watching you. Okay, scribe, all you have to do is write on a board. Who, want, who, wants to, who, wants to, who wants to use their gifting? Hey, sure. Pick your weapon, sir. One that would show up, ideally. So what we're going to do is, from last week, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, what do we remember about the story so far? And these are just the highlights. We don't want him to write out large sentences. Um, but just, just the highlights. What do you guys remember from the story last week? Create, creation. Right, creation. Booyah. Okay. Way to represent. What else?
day of rest. Um, so I would do day of rest and then uh, kind of slash God's glory. It's insightful. It's an interesting writing style. Like I've never quite, never mind. It is, it works. Okay, what else? That's it. Royce preached for like two hours, and you guys only remember those two things. Come on. What, what else is, what happens in, in Genesis 1 and 2? Anything? Huh? There we go. We see that, that God creates man and woman. So you can just, man and women are created. Ooh, image. Okay. I'm going to write, you just keep going there. I'm going to write image bearer. And you can see now why I requested the scribe. Uh, What else? Because we're made in God's image, we have those, those things? Okay, so what were those things again? What were those... Those few, because of the way we're, cre- here, I'm, I'll do that one, because I have it over here. Creator, creators, you can, you don't get to go anywhere, like you still have to help me. Uh, communicators. communicators, okay. Okay. Thinkers, cool. Okay. I write my E's upside down. It's something that my second grade teacher did not like, but. I never corrected it. Sorry, guys. You'll be okay. Okay, what else? Dominion. So God created man, and he said, I want you to have dominion over the earth, right? To multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion. You know how to spell dominion? Good, because I don't. (laughs) Yeah, we're to have dominion. What was that? Grace. grace, big grace. What do we? Oh, hey, you did a good job. I'm going to write it twice. <laughs> grace. Okay, is is there anything unique about the relationship that God has with man? Hmm. Ooh, breath. Yeah, God breathes in the man. That's, that's pretty intimate. Maybe the first thing that man saw was the face of God moving away from him, like after a first kiss, you know? Like that's pretty intimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So creation is good and man is very good. Is the, is the language that it uses. So creation good, do man very good. Wow. Mm-hmm. Should not be alone. 
choices. Good. So God places, uh, places them in the Garden of Eden in our story. So beautiful garden, paradise. And we know from Genesis 3 that there's a, a tree located in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he tells them, you can eat of all the trees in the garden except for this one tree you are not to eat. And so that hints choice. Uh, God gives man choice. But God also you know, does put the tree there, doesn't he? Like, why'd you put the tree there, God? If you just wouldn't have put the tree in, we could have saved all this trouble. But God has a greater plan, right? Which is what we're going to talk about today. God has a, a greater display of his glory yet to come. If you think creation was, was, ma- was amazing, wait till you see Christ, you know? That's what we're going to get in today. Anything else from the story? That's good stuff. Cool. So thank you, Asher. Give it up for Asher. So we're going to keep doing this every week. We're going to, uh, we're going to add a little bit uh, to our story. And so next week, you guys are going to have to cover three chapters of Genesis when we, when we come up here. And we can just do the highlights of, of kind of what we're seeing. But I appreciate you guys, you know, doing that with me. It helps to get the big picture. Um, so in our story here, we're going to pick up in Genesis 3 today. God's created man and woman. He's placed them in the garden. They are naked and unashamed living in this really intimate relationship with God. They're walking to him. They're walking with him, talking with him in the cool of the day. Maybe as the sun sets every evening, God comes down and they walk together. And maybe God loves sunsets as much as we do. And and he's interacting with man. It's very personal. And man has everything he could possibly ever need uh, in in, uh, his relationship with God and creation and and a a helper in his wife. but we know that the story doesn't stop there. So I would invite you guys to stand uh, for the reading of Genesis 3 as we focus our hearts on God's Word. And it'll be up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called a man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go. 
Dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, curse the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of you you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat eat and live forever... Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You guys can have a seat. Let's, uh, let's pray as we uh, go into study the word together. Uh, Father, we come before you uh, wanting to hear from you today. Father, asking that you open up our our minds and our hearts to know the truth of your word. We believe it's your spirit that allows us to know you. uh, And we have come to this place uh, to know you and to hear from you, Father. We believe that that these are your words spoken to us. It's you being revealed to us so that we may know you uh, more intimately. Uh, So allow us to do that today, Father. Um, Speak to us. Convict our hearts Uh, Show us the grace and the joy and the hope that we find in knowing you as our Savior. Uh, We can boldly ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here in our story, uh, we see that a serpent comes and uh, and tempts Eve. And it says here in in verse 3, we'll go back to the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so this is an incredible testimony to the deception of Satan. Uh, right at the beginning. Now, the scriptures do not say specifically that the serpent is Satan. Although we can read farther in the story, we can look at examples in Revelation 19, where, uh, where it says the ancient serpent, Satan, the devil. So we, we have allusions back to that the serpent here is Satan. It would make most sense in the scriptures that, that the serpent is Satan. But we know that the serpent is evil. And up until now, there is no evil in in, cre- in creation until this, this moment in which Adam and Eve are about to sin. They're going to bring evil actually into God's creation. Evil exists already. We don't know at what point it entered into God's, air, God's realm that he lives in. Uh, we would assume it would be when Satan and his angels rebelled against God. Uh, we know about, which is later in some prophetic literature. But we know at this point, this is where evil enters in. And so Satan comes to Eve, and it's really interesting the way that he deceives her is he starts just to ask her questions and getting her thinking down a certain road. 
Now, up to this point, I don't think Adam and Eve have ever really considered rebelling against God. You know, why would they? I mean, they're living in paradise. They have everything that they need. But Satan comes and begins to whisper in Eve's ear. And he does it by challenging God's truth. So the the truth of God told Adam and Eve in chapter 2, there's one tree, you can, ha- you can eat of all the other trees, you can have dominion over all of creation, but there's one tree in the, in the garden that I don't want you to eat of. It's a tree of knowledge and good and evil. Even if you touch it, you're going to die. And so Satan comes to her and he challenges the authority of God. And he says to her, you know, did God actually say not to eat of any tree in the garden? Well, no, God said they could eat of trees of the garden. And he says, no, it's just this one tree. He says that, that we shall not eat of the, the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden or will die. And the serpent says, you will not surely die. You know, God just knows something that you don't know. And, and what he does is he tells them, God is holding something back from you. And I think this is the lie that we continually buy into about God. That God is holding something back from us. And what Adam and Eve did here in taking of the fruit is they challenged the word of God. They challenged the authority of God. They said, okay, God, I know that you told me not to do that, but I I think that you don't have my best in mind. All of this that I'm surrounded with isn't your best for me. There's something else out there that you're holding back from me, and I must know what that is because I want to be like you. And so this, in essence, is an attempt for Adam and Eve to dethrone God. Because they, they want to be God. Isn't that the sin of humanity? Like us wanting to be God? And you're like, oh, dude, I've, I've never wanted to be God. Well, sure you have. Every time you take the word of God, every time that we take the authority of God, and we place it under our authority, you are challenging God for the throne. And we live in an era of postmodernism that says truth is relative, right? This is, since you were a little kid, most of you guys have had this, if anyone that is, was, well, all of us have been born since the 80s, but particularly the, the 80s and 90s, it's even more prominent, well, that what they, they've been indoctrinated into postmodern thought. The rest of us, it was introduced to us somewhere along, along the line. And someone came up to you and said, you know what, truth for you can be whatever you want it to be. Something can be true for me and can be completely different for Nathan. And we get to be the authors of truth in our own lives. So truth is relative. That's postmodern thought. We are inundated with that. And we do that particularly to God's word when it says something and we say, no, that's not what that means. Or I know that's what God's word says, but I'm going to do this. That's rebellion against the word of God. That's rebellion. We, and it's, it's so prevalent in our society. And that's because we have removed God from his place of authority in our lives and placed instead us there. So Satan doesn't come to Adam and Eve and say, hey, bow down to me. You know, worship me. He just says, don't worship God. That's the subtlety of Satan. That he comes into humanity and he whispers in our ears lies. Satan has no power over us, but he loves to whisper. 
He loves to introduce ideas and concepts. And if your authority is not the truth of God's words, if your authority is your feelings, if your authority is your desires, then you will be led astray. And we are continually led astray by those lies that we allow to seep in, seep into our lives. But the good news is, God knew that was going to happen. He knew that, that we were going to rebel. He knew that we weren't going to, that mankind was not going to be happy in Eden. And God allowed it to happen because he had a greater display of his glory that was yet to come. And so in our story here, it says in verse 7, in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So the fruit to Eve was, she thought it would be good for food. It would fill her. It was delight. How How much sin of humanity is a delight to the eyes, Right? And it was desired to make one wise. God's holding something back from me. I know it. I, I want to know, know what God knows. I want to know good and evil like God knows. And the sad part is when Eve took of the fruit and Adam, we see here that, that she says that she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Guys, here's a wake-up call to passive men who stand there and watch their family go into sin. You know, God had told Adam and Eve, and specifically Adam being created first, he said, have dominion over the earth, right? I want you to rule over it. You're my image bearer. And what do we see Adam doing? He's standing by idly watching the creation, which is the serpent, influence him. It's flipped here, right? And that's going to be one of the results of the fall is creation is actually going to now be in rebellion against man. That's what we're going to see in a little bit. But Adam stands by passively. He doesn't listen to God the way that God told him in his word that he should live. And he allows, he allows sin to come into his life and, and into, into humanity. And as a result of this in verse 7, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Isn't that interesting? Like, why, why was nakedness, why, why were they ashamed of their nakedness after they had sinned? Not like they were doing something wrong sexually. They were like, ooh, we gotta cover ourselves up. You ever think about that? God always accepted it as, oh, a sign of uh, one of the things about rebellion is they're now going to be ashamed of their nakedness. Is our culture ashamed of its nakedness? No. Look at Beyonce in the Super Bowl. No. We're not ashamed of our nakedness, right? So what is it that, why are they covering themselves up? You know, I think, and from the other things that I've read that makes the most sense to me is, in, in man's attempt, in man's at- attempted leap to God's throne, he fails miserably, right? In man's attempt to be like God, to reach out and to grab hold of the fruit, to be God, he fails miserably. 
because he now sees that God is good and he is evil. That's the irony of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, man was good. He was made in the image of God. He was made like God. Man would have lived forever in the Garden of Eden, knowing God, walking with God. He wasn't God, but he was like God. He had all of the things. That's that's the irony of the lie of Satan. Satan says, eat of the tree and you will be like God. Man already was like God, but it wasn't enough for mankind. It wasn't enough for humankind. They had to reach. They They needed more. God wasn't enough for them. And so they reach up and they fall. And they're left ashamed and naked. And I think, they're, I think they're ashamed of their nakedness because they, when sin entered into the world and they realized that they were not God and they could not be God, what's the one uniqueness between God and humans? God's a creator and humans can only procreate, right? God has no purpose for reproductive organs. He is a creator, But humans now seeing the difference between them and God cover their differences. They cover their shame. And they go and they hide. So we pick up in our story in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Once again, great glimpses into into humanity, right? What what do we do when we sin? We hide, you know. I'm going to hide in my sin. I'm going to go into a dark room where nobody can see what I'm doing. I'm going to isolate myself. That's a, that's a part of being born into a sinful world. We naturally isolate, just like, like Adam and Eve did. When we sin, we go and hide. That's, that's, that's what is kind of what we're, what we're born into. But as Adam and Eve are hiding, what does God do? He comes looking for them, doesn't he? He knows that they've sinned. He's omnipotent, right? But God, in his, I think just in his character and his love for humanity and for his creation... He comes compassionately looking for man. Isn't that a testimony to who God is? Man's hiding. God's not raining fire down from heaven, you know? I'm going to consume all of this because you sinned. He goes looking for him. He says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? God, God wants a relationship, right? Choice, you know? Where's choice at? Wasn't choice up here? God gives man choice, thank you. God, God desires relationship, right? And he asks man, where are you? He calls out to him, respond to me, interact with me. I remember we've been doing this for however long, we don't know how long man's been walking with God. And God desires to, to talk to him. He desires for man to respond, a, a public profession, maybe even repentance. But what's man do instead? He's hiding. And it says... He said, I was naked and I hid myself. And he said in 11, who, who said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. But the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. <laughs> yeah, who's at fault? Not me, 
you know? God goes to, to man and, have you eaten of the tree? He knows that he has, but he, he wants to interact with man. Have you eaten of the tree? That woman that you created for me, she gave it to me. I was just standing there watching, and all of a sudden, she picked it, and she handed it to me. And then God says, Eve, is this true? That snake that you created, that thing did it, right? That, that's, yeah, that's human. I, I, can, I can see that in, in my depravity. I pass the blame, down and down. Ultimately, what they were doing is saying, God, it's your fault, you know? You're the one that did this. And so in the moment in which sin enters into the world, the moment in which humans rebel against God, they come and they try to remove him from his throne, fail miserably, hide themselves and lie about it. What does God do in that instance in humanity? In the instance that his perfect creation is broken, that his image bears are now broken mirrors reflecting him, now having separated themselves from, the, from him because he is holy and they are not. What does God do? In 14, the Lord God says to the serpent, this is grace on mankind for one thing. He curses the serpent. And he says to him, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, a dust you shall eat all the days of your life. The, the imagery there is lowliness. You wanted, you wanted exaltation, which is what Satan ultimately wants. He wants God's throne. It's what humans want. God takes Satan and he casts him low. You can't get any lower to the ground than a snake. You will spend your your life withering on the ground. It's meant to show lowliness. It's meant to show the ultimate humility, which we will see will finally be brought to fruition in Christ when he defeats Satan forever. But in the meantime, Satan gets to waller on his belly because of this, because of his sin. And he looks at Eve, and he, sa- and, 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 uh, and, he, and he says to Satan in verse 15, So along with your humility, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise, he shall bruise, you shall bruise his head, and he shall bruise your heel. So what we have here in the moment in which sin enters into the world is the first glimpses of the good news of Jesus Christ. At the point in which man rebels against God, God begins to unfold his plan. And and we see just a small picture of it here in Genesis 3.15. God tells the serpent that Eve, who you have deceived, is going to have an offspring. She's going to have a seed. And a, a member of her family, at some point in history, is going to stomp your head, which would elude killing the serpent, right? You are going to be defeated by an offspring of Eve. And that defeat is only going to be a bruise to his heel. That's pretty cool. Now us today, living in light of the cross, living 2,000 years after the cross, we look back knowing that he was talking about Jesus there, right? Jesus is the seed that comes from Eve. The story of the Old Testament is this seed being followed for anywhere between, 
I don't know, maybe 5,000 years. We don't know how long exactly. We know it's about 1,500 years from, from Moses up until Jesus comes. We don't really know the time frame before Moses. But we know in this moment, in the moment in which sin enters the world, God makes a promise. And he says, one day I am going to defeat sin forever. And so for us, we look into this and we say, oh my, even, even sin, even God is using sin to display his glory to the world. And the, the question that I asked over and over again when I read Genesis is, why this way? Why, God? Why did you create us if you knew we were going to do this? And I believe the answer is because God had a greater display of his glory yet to come in Jesus Christ. God wanted to show us, reveal to us his grace. How much he loves us. And I think so many times we take our sin, we take all of our rebellion, and we're meant to read into this passage and see ourselves. We're meant to see ourselves in Adam and Eve. And we're meant to see ourselves as fallen and broken and hiding and sinful, all of these things. And then a lot of times I think we, we take that sin and we just go in and we just, we just keep on hiding. We're like Adam and Eve. We take all of our, our sinfulness and, and, and we just hold it in and we say, yeah, God doesn't love me. God can't love me. Look how bad I am. But God says, no, no, I, I'm going to defeat sin. I'm going to crush it. All the sin that you commit against God, the sin that I committed against God, Jesus Christ took that upon himself on the cross. When he died, he took all of the, 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 the sin of humanity from present, past, future, and he placed it on himself. He took on the punishment for your sin. It's been paid for, right, Christians? You have been redeemed. And all of your sin, all of our rebellion against God throughout the last many millennium, get this, it's only a bruise to Jesus. And that's not to undermine the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross, but it's meant to display the glory of God. The cross for Jesus was a bruise in the larger picture of God's grace for us and his love for us. And so when you take your sin and you say that this is too big for God, and you say that God could not forgive me, you are saying that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough, and you have to hold on to it. And in doing that, you place yourself as God once again. You say, this is too big for God. God could never forgive this. What, what are you doing? You're exalting yourself above God. That's what Adam and Eve did. And God's saying, no, I'm going to defeat it. And we know that he did in Jesus Christ. Why do we not live in light of that truth? We live in the shadow of the cross. People, Christians, my brothers and sisters, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, none at all. When you sin, God doesn't look down at you and say, bad Christian. He looks down at you and sees pure and righteous and holy because of Jesus Christ. Man, that's awesome. Like, I can't wait to spend this whole year looking at that story 
over and over and over again. This is what we're going to do. At the moment in which, God, which man sins, God starts a process of redemption and restoration and ultimately exaltation. And we are going to see that process over and over again throughout the Old Testament scriptures over the next 10 months. We're going to see these glimpses, these pictures of Jesus Christ. And, and they're not always going to be a really good Jesus Christ. We're going to see guys like Noah. We're going to see guys like Abraham and Moses and David. They're going to be pictures of Jesus. But ultimately, they're going to be constant reminders of, of, of something greater is coming. Something greater is coming. And we're meant to read this passage and meant to see brokenness. And we're meant to see our sin. But we're also meant to see that there is something greater coming. There's, there's a larger work of God, and that is, who we get, that is how we get to see ourselves now. We're not, to meant, we're not meant to stay in here in this picture of fallenness and brokenness. This is not meant to define you, Christian. This is meant to give you a hope and know that there is a hope for us who now live since Jesus Christ has come to this earth. Man, that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. There's an example of this in Romans 5, 12, if you want to flip over there in your Bible. This is Paul, as God's revealing the truth of the Scriptures. Paul had some incredible revelations where he pointed to the Old Testament. He, you know, he, he looked back and said, oh man, look at everything that's happened up until now. This is why it happened. And in, in, in Romans 5, 12, it has, we're going to have it up here on the screen. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So at, when Adam sinned, it brought, it brought sin into God's creation, right? And now us being born now, we, we now are born into a sinful, broken world. It doesn't take long to see a child sin after they're born, right, parents? Like they are naturally very sinful, you know? It comes very quickly, so we're born into sin in verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, right? Before Moses brought the law, sin had entered through this picture of what we saw here. But sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like their transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And he's going to further explain this. Jump down to 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Paul is saying, you see where Adam failed? Jesus prevails. Where Adam and Eve were living in paradise, having everything they needed, where, where us as humans failed in the Garden of Eden, having all of our needs met by God, but we needed more. What's a story where Jesus was in a similar circumstance and prevailed? Where, where's, it, where's an existence where what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden, we also see happening to Jesus? Hmm, what could be an example of that? can't think of anything. You know? Remember when Jesus was taken into the wilderness, right? And he's tempted for 40 days by Satan. He doesn't eat, he fasts for 40 days. And then at the end of the 40 days, what does Satan offer him to eat? Bread, you know? Only if you will bow down to me, I'll give you this bread. 
where Adam fails in paradise, Jesus in the wilderness fasting for 40 days prevails, right? Where Satan tempts Jesus to do exactly what Adam and Eve does, Jesus prevails. That's one picture that we're going to see over and over and over again. And you're going to get these glimpses of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. We're going to keep looking at these small pictures. Now, there is a result of living outside of God's perfect. So Adam and Eve, now having sinned, now have to have to suffer the result of living outside of the presence of God. Just as, the, just as Satan was cursed, God tells Adam and Eve, now because you are separated from me, life is going to be much more difficult than the way that I had intended it. And I'm going to give you some constant reminders, not necessarily of your sin, as much as my plan to save you from this. And so God is going to look to Eve and he's going to tell her in in verse 3 here. He's going to say in verse 16, To the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. The command that Adam and Eve were given was to take dominion over the earth, right? To multiply, to bear children, to fill the earth. That process is going to be very difficult now. It's going to be a painful process. Life outside of God's perfect plan is much more difficult than God intended for it to be. So now we have this reminder of what life outside of God's sovereignty is like. Painful. He says, you shall desire to be, your your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. You will desire this intimacy with your husband that he will be a bad provider of because he's a broken mirror. You will desire him intimately and he will use that to rule over you. That's not a good thing. It doesn't take long for this to manifest itself in the, in the account of Noah. It says that the, the men of the day were so sinful in Genesis 4, uh, in Genesis 7, sorry, that we're gonna look at, it says that the men were so sinful that they, took, they saw that women were pleasing to the eyes and they took as many of them as they possibly could. That's ruling over, right? Women, you're going to desire something from your husband that he is not going to be a good provider of. Now, because of Jesus, he can look at Christ and, 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 and try and learn, but he won't provide it. But what's the good news of that? Who's the, who's the perfect bridegroom? Jesus. Women will find what they are looking for in Christ. That's why, I think that that's why we have these reminders, even in marriage, even with the relationship with me and my wife. We are sinful. We will always be sinful until Christ returns or until we go to heaven. And my wife has this great reminder, even in my sin, of the incredible grace and goodness of Jesus Christ. Man, do you look at marriage like that? Do you look at your relationships like that? Of, oh, we have these pictures. We have these reminders. To Adam, 
He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, because you did not have dominion over, because you did not take authority over, because you passively stood by and watched. And you've eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The rebel gets a little taste of his own medicine. Now creation, man, is going to rebel against you. The thing that I had told you to have authority over will now have authority over you. There's irony, God's irony. Your attempt to gain something, your attempt to my throne, you actually will now have creation fighting against you all the days of your life. You will toil. That's, that's the reality of life outside of God's perfect ways. And so now even as, as humans, we have this constant reminder of toiling right? We're going to fight mankind and women too. You're going to fight against weeds our entire lives. It's not, that's not just symbolic. It actually happens. How many times have you gone across an abandoned lot and the tomato plants have taken over? You know, it's weeds. You know, our community garden spends 90% of their time de-weeding and about 10% of their time probably actually growing food. Because creation is rebelling against mankind. That's, that's not how God intended us to be. But it's a result of us living. I just think we need to look at these things and remember. You know? Remember that there are consequences. Ultimately, the consequence for man is death, right? You're not going to live forever. You're going to die. What did God tell mankind when he, if you ate from the tree? What would happen? You will die. And I think there's two different ways there. One, you're physically going to die, right? But spiritually, you're also are, are suffering death. This is me being a little bit of a doomsdayer. This thing that we call life, God calls death. <laughs> it's, the, it's the absence of him, right? That's what mankind gets put out into when he's exited the garden. But what's the hope for us who are Christians? What's the hope for us in the spiritual death? Is there life? Yes. Now, in the existence of death, this thing that we live in, my body is dying every day. I actually get to live in life because of Jesus Christ. Look what, look what God does even in the curse through Jesus Christ. God like makes another way for us to come back to us. He allows us to have life now. And he's going to do it for a very small group of people in the Old Testament. He's going to give them life. It's called the law and the tabernacle and the temple and the sacrificial system. God loves humanity. He doesn't just put them out there on his own. He's going to give them a way to constantly interact, for him, act with the, interact with him. For us who now live in light of the cross, we actually know that the spirit of God dwells inside of us. So life is now brought back into this dead creation. I now have purpose in life. I now have purpose to toil. And ultimately, even the curse, even the curse of death 
is, is made right through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we get to live forever, right? The Bible says that we will be exalted with Jesus Christ. And we will live with him again in paradise. That's, look at, in the midst of curse, God blesses. He has a way for us. He even shows us a small picture of this in verse 20. He says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. There's a picture of God's grace. In man's humility, in his fall, in his naked exposure, you know, man tries to cover himself and he apparently does a really bad job of it, sewing some leaves together. And God in his grace kills an animal, takes his skin, and covers them. It sounds like the sacrificial system, doesn't it? God, us having sin, God sacrifices something to redeem. He clothes them, they have their dignity back, and he restores them, right? That's the picture, even in the smallest examples like this, of who God is and of what he's done. And we will see this over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Sin, rede- restora- or sin, sacrifice, restoration, and redemption. That's who God is. God is going to go through great lengths in our study over the next 10 months to show his grace and favor upon humanity. He is, he is always going to go to great lengths to make sure our, that we survive. But it's because he, ha- he wants to display his glory through us through Jesus Christ at the cross and through us today as the church. God is still continuing to ensure the survival of his creation, to display his glory. Man, that's a good story. So our story wraps up here in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the gate of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Mankind's exit from Eden wasn't God's punishment as much as it was God's grace Because the tree of life was in the garden. Man can't live forever sinfully separated from God. So in God's grace, he removes him from the garden. He places an angel to keep man from coming back in. But we know the story doesn't stop there, right? We know the story continues. And God continues to make a way for mankind to come to him. God continues to pave a way through this beautiful story that we are going to get to study as a church. So now we get an opportunity to respond to God in hope. And every week as a church, we place the communion tables out here as once again, God loves symbols. God knows how prone we are to forget. And he gives us reminders. Remember? Remember that I paid for your sin. Remember remember the bruise I defeated Satan. Remember my blood? Death no longer has reign over you. You are forgiven. 
And forgiveness, according to Romans, are those who profess, profess to God. They say, God, I realize that you are creator. I realize that I have sinned, that I am a sinner, and I need you. I, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's what we do every time we go to these tables. Public profession, public profession before God. That's what we do with our songs, church. We worship. We, we respond in light of who God is and of what he's done. And we find our identity as who we are and of what we should do. That's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to do the rest of this week. That's what we do the rest of this year is continue to display the glory of God through his people. So let's do that now. Let's, let's go before God as a church. Let's ask him to, to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, to hear us. We know that he does because of Jesus. We know that we can actually sing and it goes right to God. And we can praise him for the wonderful work of, re, of restoring us, for having hope. And I'm going to end with uh, Romans 8. Verses 18 through 25. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, right? God in control, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow. That's what we worship for. The, the, the creation waits with eager longing for the return of the king. We know that spiritually we've been redeemed because of Jesus, but we still wait for a physical redemption, right? We still wait for God to come back. We still look at the story and see brokenness and see sin, and we wait with eager longing for the return of God. Let's just call out to God now as we worship, and we remember that He has a plan, and that He is good, and He is right, and He is perfect, and He is holy. He allows us to have this intimate relationship with him, just like Adam had because of Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you have a beautiful plan, God. I am, I am always in awe of you, God. In, in, the, in the moment in which we sin, God, you, you started this incredible work to redeem us. God, I just am overwhelmed by that truth. God, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by your story of those thousands of years of history where you showed your faithfulness, where you showed us glimpses of the greatness to come. And, and God, I get to look back and now see the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Adam being Jesus Christ. You yourself, when you came to this earth, the only way to, to set right the wrong was done by you. There was nothing that we could do to get back into your presence because of our sinful condition. 
but there was something that you could do and you did it, God, in coming and in paying the ultimate sacrifice. And now, Father, hear our worship as the redeemed, as the, as the people who are holy and blameless before your eyes, not because of our works, God, because I see a lot of Adam in me, God. I see a lot of rebellion and I see a lot of idolatry and I see a lot of hiding. But God, may I just clothe myself in, in Christ and see myself as holy, see myself as redeemed because of you. May, may us as a church, God, open up our hearts to see ourselves the way that you see us because of what you have done for us. We respond to you now, Father, in worship and truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.